This is the Retail Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. Place the item in the backing area. We're on that third mega trend where consumers really have taken over the shopping channel because now they're walking into stores a lot more informed. For a lot of brands, especially digital natives, they want to test and see what's working first and then make some educated decisions. We don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult. You know, every day is a challenge, but that excites the customers. They love that. We've got fresh inventory and the doors are open. All right, welcome to this very special holiday edition of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. Obviously, this is a time of year where retail is really uh, under the microscope. It's 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 in full focus because everyone is out at stores, at shopping malls, or shopping online, whatever the process might be. Uh, and we're seeing lots and lots of trends all around the retail industry. And so there's just so much to talk about regarding uh, the retail industry. And so we're going to dive into that today on the Market Scale Retail Podcast. We're going to talk to Jennifer Ruskin. She's been on the podcast before. She actually joined back in November to talk about Black Friday and just the rush of shopping there in Black Friday. And so today she's going to join us to talk about just trends in retail that she has seen around the holiday season. So uh, as she has visited stores, as she's shopped online, what has been uh, what have been some of the trends that she has noticed and uh, how does she feel like they are working in terms of their success or failure and how can uh, maybe retailers learn some, learn some lessons from this holiday season that they can apply going forward into 2019 and into future holiday seasons. So that's going to be an exciting conversation with Jennifer. For Ruskin again, making her second appearance on the Market Scale Retail Podcast, and then we're also going to grab two. Uh, we're going to grab portions of two interviews from earlier this year. The first one is going to be with Healy Cipher. Uh, he's the CEO of Zavello, and he's going to talk about kiosks and how they're changing the retail experience. Uh, and it's going to be really, really interesting just to look at it through the lens of uh, the holiday season. So as you go through shopping malls, as you go into retail locations, how are kiosks? Changing that, uh, changing that experience for the shopper, uh, for the customer, and how can retailers continue to innovate in that way and in that space? Uh, he's really, really knowledgeable in this field, and I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation. Uh, just in light of the holiday season, I think it's going to be something where we can really learn a lot and draw on our experiences around this time of year uh, based on what we've seen as we've been out at stores or what we've seen uh, as you look around at other stores, maybe uh, somewhere other than the place where you work, uh, the place that you own. It's 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 going to be an interesting conversation. I promise you won't want to miss it, especially in light of the holiday season. And then finally, we're going to have an excerpt from an interview with Chris Barnes. He's the Senior Vice President of Strategy and Solutions for Gladson. And he's going to talk about the rapidly changing nature of that retail transaction. Uh, the subtle slang that retailers use, uh, that literal uh, danger of too many choices, and that delicate dance that a company has to do when utilizing uh, quote-unquote big data. So we're going to hear a little bit more about that from Chris Barnes as well. Again, that's an excerpt from a previous interview uh, that he has done with MarketScale on the Retail Podcast. But around this time of year, uh, where so many transactions are taking place and retail is really under that microscope. Uh, it, it's it's just that time of year where you want to take a look more in depth at maybe some things that we've talked about in the past that really, really come into view when we get to the holiday season. So that is what's coming up on the show today. I'm really excited about it. I hope you've got all your Christmas shopping done, but if not, uh, you've still got a little bit more time. It's Christmas Eve after all. Get out there, brave the crowds, brave the traffic, or maybe the cold weather. Get out there and get it all done. Or, you know... 
There's always, uh, there's always the online option as well, so uh, don't ignore that. But coming up next is my interview with Jennifer Ruskin. We're going to talk about holiday retail trends coming up next on the Market Scale Retail Podcast. All right, joining me now on the Market Scale Retail Podcast for her follow-up appearance to her hit uh, hit interview and appearance for Black Friday back around the Thanksgiving time is Jennifer Ruskin. She's the CEO and owner of Jennifer Kalo Ruskin Enterprises. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Tyler, thank you for having me on. This is three times in one year. I'm starting to feel like a celebrity around here. Yeah, three times. I mean, third time is is going to be the best because that's the charm, <laughs> right? Like, uh, but we love we love having you on the podcast because you always have just such great insight into uh, the retail industry as a whole. Uh, just your in your expert opinion and that sort of thing. So we certainly appreciate you carving out time for the retail podcast here at Market Scale. Um, so as just as you've observed this uh, this holiday season. Uh, Jennifer, what are some of the trends that you've seen just leading up to this this time of year? I mean, uh, it's it's a busy time. Everyone is out shopping either online or or in a mall or in a you know in a location and that sort of thing. So, what are some of the trends that you've noticed uh, you know in, in those arenas? Well, I think the biggest trend this year is that we all have more money. Praise God. How exciting is that? <laughs> so according to WalletHub.com, 35% of Americans plan to spend more than $500 on Christmas gifts this year. And Tyler, I don't know about you, but that is definitely on trend for me and my household. Oh, yeah. Same same here for sure. For sure. Uh, we definitely went uh, a little above and beyond this year. And how does that how does that having of more money uh, kind of disposable income around this uh, around this holiday season? How does that uh, tend to change people's buying habits? Does that mean that maybe uh, rather than shopping online, that they're going to more brick and mortar locations or uh, is it you know money burning a hole in the pocket? Got to go online and, you know, and, and spend it on Amazon or Walmart right now. No, that's a great point. We're actually seeing a really big move into online, but, you know, brick and mortar is still going strong. Um, What's interesting is six in 10 people say that they're better off financially this year than last year. So, of course, it means more money in your pocket. Um, I do have a list for you of the 2018 most wanted holiday gifts. Interested in hearing about that? Very much. Thankfully, we still have a couple more days or we're, we're down to the last minute right before Christmas, but we can right. still run out. Here is what's on people's gift-giving guide. Electronics is always number one. You can't go wrong with electronics. Sure. Gift sure. cards is number two. Then that's followed by clothes, books or eBooks, furniture and appliances, jewelry and toys. So I do kind of want to be a little negative for a second. Uh-huh. What about unwanted gifts? So, like, not to put any bah humbug on the Christmas shopping spirit, but there was a new study by Finder.com that shows $13 billion, with a B, will be spent on unwanted gifts this year. So here's some things to avoid. Don't buy clothes and accessories. 34% of those go back. Hmm. Household items are seconded 18%, and then cosmetic and perfume make a list with, you know, 14% is a a no-no. What's really interesting, though, Tyler, about this is that 29% of people keep the gifts that they don't want. I found that pretty interesting. Maybe we're re-gifting. Maybe we just feel bad and we throw it in the closet um, or in a storage facility. I don't know. But 
22% of people will go exchange them. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That is a really interesting point. And, and I wonder, you know, I have always been a, a fan of, I want gifts to feel as personal as possible, right? Like, so I, I understand people love to get gift cards and people love to give, give gift cards. But mm. personally, I like to be able to hand them something that I say, I saw this and I thought of you specifically, so I picked this out. But those stats and, and kind of what you were talking about, about how many people get unwanted gifts and how much money is spent on unwanted gifts and, and gifts that people are going to exchange in the end or something along those lines. Uh, it, it makes me think that maybe gift cards are a safer option around the holiday season just because you then allow people to go out and get what they actually want. Well, or maybe, Tyler, you do a combination of that, right, where you give a gift card, but then you do something homemade. So bath bombs right now, super hot. Everyone loves them. So easy to make. It's literally like citric acid, um, some essential oils, and, and then you mix it all up and you kind of form it into a ball or something. I made a few of them at the house. I can't say they're pretty, but they do work. So maybe in conjunction with your <laughs> gift card, you do something fun like that where it's, you know, laundry detergent homemade with some really nice fun food coloring and some some nice essential oils. Or you do a bath bomb or you bring some cookies or something to give with the gift card. I like that. I really like that idea. And uh, the bath bomb is actually a great idea. If, if we were compiling a list of, of Jennifer's favorite things, you know, like <laughs> Oprah used to do, uh, bath bombs would be on it. What, do you have anything else just off the top of your head that you've seen that you think, uh, this is on my favorite things list here in the, the, the Christmas 2018 season? You know, I just actually opened up our Christmas presents last night because we're, we're traveling for Christmas and I didn't want to have to schlep them all to the grandparents' house. And one thing that I wanted was this necklace. There's this gal that I follow named Jenna Kutcher, and it says, I am enough, and it's gold-plated. I'm wearing it right now, and it reminds me every single day that I'm enough, and what I'm doing is enough, and as a business leader, it's enough. Just breathe. So that was really high on my list. Um, second was, again, me being in that $500 or higher bracket of spending, I decided this year that I didn't need more gifts and my kids sure as heck didn't need more gifts. <laughs> and and they're getting to a nice age where we could start to do some experiences. My oldest is 10 and he kept saying, mom, I just really want to travel. Can we go travel somewhere? So this year I bought tickets for the four of us, my husband, I, and my two kids to go to New York. So that was their big thing last night. They opened up brand new suitcases and then tickets to go to New York and to see the Statue of Liberty. So that's what we did this Christmas. I love that. I love that trend of experiences. And I think that um, that's something that I've really learned in recent years is I have so much stuff. My wife and I recently bought a house and, and moved and we moved so much stuff. And I thought, oh my gosh, so much of this of these things I haven't seen in the last like two or three years since the mm -hmm. last time we moved. You know, why why not spend more money on experiences? And, and I wonder if that's not uh, more of a trend that we're going to start seeing people investing more in trips or in going out to nice restaurants or things along those lines as opposed to the traditional uh you know sweater or socks or you know more stuff just to fill our drawers in our closets yeah and a part of me wants to say it's very millennial and very gen z but i'm also watching um, some of my older friends that are in their 50s and 60s and they're doing the same thing um, one of my friends is actually leaving for mexico tomorrow with his wife they chose to not celebrate Christmas with their families. So, of course, that's always a big thing that you oh, kind yeah. of have to navigate these days, trying not to hurt your family's feelings. But 
Yes, I definitely think that we're we're seeing this trend of more um, spending money on experiences versus stuff. Although the numbers do tell us that we are spending money on more and more stuff every year. Um, but Tyler, I'm with you. I'd much rather spend it on a big trip and some memories that I can make than just, you know, more PS4 games from my kids. <laughs> I, I totally understand. Uh, and Jennifer, one of the things that uh, that I think that you really, really, um, you're, you're really an expert in is that online market space and, and kind of understanding the world of Amazon and Walmart and those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some... Uh, what are some ways that you think that retailers, you know, whether it's small, large, uh, medium, whatever size, have gotten smarter about utilizing the online retail space in the last couple of years? Well, they're certainly finding ways to to make it more marketing positive. So, for example, um, I'm working on an Amazon client of mine right now. They just went live this morning with some brand new products online. And we're, we're beefing out their listings with enhanced brand content, which is that really pretty marketing at the bottom of an item page. We're building out storefronts. I love that we can literally replicate a brand's entire e-commerce website inside of Amazon these days. Um, In terms of Walmart, Walmart's done some really neat things, especially for holiday with augmented reality. Um, They have this thing right now called Walmart Labs. You can go to walmarttoylab.com, excuse me, Walmart Toy Lab, where kids can go online and interact with their favorite new toys. So um, a couple hours ago, my kids were looking for, again, ways to spend their Christmas money that they are getting junk from the relatives, just not from me. <laughs> and so we went on to Walmart Toy Lab and, and we found some really cool Nerf guns that had laser beams that shoot out of it. So it's laser tag with Nerf guns. How freaking cool is that? And on the Walmart Toy Lab, you can actually experience it and play with it and watch other kids play with it. So that's a really, really great way that a large, the world's largest retailer, is taking augmented reality and bringing into the sphere of omni-channel a really cool experience where it makes my kids want to go run out to Walmart and go buy these cool Nerf guns. Wow, that's really awesome. That that's that's a cool innovation and a cool way of utilizing technology really to to help enhance the marketplace. I I I like that. I like hearing about that. Yeah, and can we talk about the trend of virtual reality for just a minute because I feel like it's it's everywhere. I wanted to bring this up. So last night My kids got out of school and we went to go see the new Mary Poppins movie, which P.S. is amazing. The entire theater erupted in in applause when it was over. I was was a huge fan of the original uh, as a as a kid. Uh, I, I don't know how much this dates me or whatever, but I loved the original and I danced around the living room as a kid, <laughs> uh, especially to the chimney sweep scene. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited to go see the new one. I, I have to you have to go get out there and see it. It's so good. But what was really interesting was before the movie started, they now have, you know, of course, all the previews. Well, before the previews, you get more previews, right? It's They're different ads. Right. So one of them was for a game that you got to play inside the theater and you downloaded the app and then for 30 seconds you got to play in this virtual reality, augmented reality game while you sat in your chair. That was incredible. On the way to driving to my in-laws this morning, my husband was talking to me about Fox Sports. If you download the Fox Sports VR app, you can now watch sports on TV and get this VIP box seating experience with your own virtual reality headset and teleport to different camera options around the stadiums. And you can even watch regional NBA games and watch and talk with other people around the world in this live gaming atmosphere. 
So if we're talking about a very heavy trend for this year for Christmas, I'm definitely seeing a lot of VR. I mean, my massage therapist even bought virtual reality headsets and gaming equipment for her and her husband, and they each have their own PS4. So I thought, that's incredible if even my massage therapist is buying virtual reality stuff. Yeah, that's incredible. It really is just such a wide trend, and so much of what we do here at at Market Skill, you know, we we are uh, involved with fourteen different industries, and so much uh, we we see so much overlap in some of the same themes across so many of these different industries. And VR, VR, and AR is really one of those where mm-hmm. uh, we see it in education. We see it coming up uh, in the pro AV world in sports. You know, it's it's incredible how many different arenas that uh, that VR AR conversation really touches these days and so you're right it really is everywhere um and 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 that's pretty incredible um you touched on something a second ago that i kind of want to go back and hit and that was uh you you talked about you know kids receiving money for christmas and that sort of thing and i know i like to look out for sales that come up after the christmas season you know kind of uh those post christmas uh sales where maybe you get jackets on sale or something you know (laughs) something along those lines what are some ways that retailers can really capitalize on that that post christmas uh you know shopping atmosphere where you know maybe people got some money that they are looking to burn or you know maybe people are keeping an eye out for some sales or something like that what's what are some ways that retailers can really take advantage of that? That's a great question. Well, I think certainly extending sales into January is helpful. Um, I think traditionally we've seen that the basics are what go on sale, right? It's totes to put away all your Christmas crap. It's socks and tees and underwear and that sort of thing that go on sale. But that's not really what kids with gift cards or adults with gift cards want to spend their money on, right? So I think that it's certainly an opportunity to go out and, and really blast out of that old inventory that you need to get out of for Q4 as you head into spring with some great BOGOs or some great really deep discounts. So don't forget that your entire product line is still viable heading into January. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, and uh, I I, th- I think that for for me, anyways, I'm always looking to uh, find that thing that I I wouldn't buy or that that I always have my eye on, but I, I've never quite been able to pull the trigger. But then I find that there's the right sale or something like that after Christmas, and I think that's when I can get that one thing that I've had my eye on all year round or something like that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, so kind of casting an eye towards 2019, uh, what do you see uh, maybe 2019, some of the the innovations, or what do you see coming down the pipeline of the future uh, for 2019? If we look back this time next year, uh, we'll say 2019 was the year of blank in retail. You know, what, what, do, you, what do you see uh, when, we, when we look forward? Wow, I think that 2019 will be the year of more home delivery. Um, I just briefly got to skim over an article this morning posted from Walmart where they said that in 2019, their goal is to actually not just do home delivery, but literally do fridge delivery. Um, I think sales, by the way, in interactive refrigeration is going to go up. My husband and I have our eye on a Samsung interactive three or $4,000 refrigerator at this point that we keep going and kind of visiting it at Lowe's <laughs> to like and really like gulp at a $4,000 price point for a refrigerator. But that's becoming sexier to the consumer and certainly something that will become a new thing. Um, I think also Americans have said that they're willing to pay more for certain things. So something to think about as an offering as a business um, owner is 
47% of Americans say that they'd pay more for just peace and quiet. So is there a way within a brick and mortar store maybe to offer a little more of that? Or can you create an item or sell an item that offers peace and quiet, that whole personal wellness and taking care of yourself space? 34% of Americans say that they would pay more for faster delivery. And of course, we see that with Amazon, with Prime. Target's jumping on that boat. So is Walmart. What can you do as a retailer or as a brand to ensure that you're also delivering that? In a small way, a lot of my brands, um, if they're not doing Amazon Seller Central and providing Prime through that, they're doing Seller Fulfilled Prime. Maybe they're linking a Shopify account up through Amazon and using Amazon as the delivery method for their products these days. Um, one of my clients actually hand bakes pies pies and cheesecakes. And he is literally doing Seller Fulfilled Prime. And within two days, you're getting a, a fresh delivered pie to your house, which is incredibly amazing. Wow. Another thing is customer service. 27% of Americans said that they would pay more just to have friendly customer service. So maybe as we do talk about automation and robots and AI and VR, maybe think about for your business, stripping a little bit of that away when it comes to customer service. Don't automate that or find a way to have a real human there. I had a really, really interesting experience with this just this week. I subscribed to Calendly. Uh, Tyler, I don't know if you use Calendly to help schedule calendar meetings, but I love it. And I use it every day with my business. Um, and so I was subscribing for um, for my subscription. I was transitioning from a pro account to, to, to a daily account or whatever, and I accidentally signed up for the whole year. I'm sure you've done that. Yes. And you get charged and you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> I didn't mean to spend $500 or whatever the price tag <laughs> right. was, a couple hundred dollars right. all at once. So I sent him a quick note and I'm like, my mistake, I meant to do the monthly version, which was like 10 bucks a month or something. And I immediately got a note back. I mean, within two minutes of a live human that sent me an email that said, don't worry, I've already refunded you. I've moved you to the $10 plan and you are ready to go. I sent him a note back because, again, I could, which was really amazing. It was a real human on the other end. And I said, thank you so much. I appreciate your customer service incredibly in a huge way. You know, it's Christmas and I can't believe you that you just did this. And they sent me back a gift. I was cracking up. It was like some really funny thing, like a Seinfeld thing or whatever. Sure. I said, thank you. And I thought, you know, this is really interesting. Well, then the company sends me a link that says, hey, how did Susie Q or whatever her name is, how'd she do? Mm -hmm. And when I clicked on the link, it allowed me to send her a gift that the company paid for. I got to choose how she was rewarded. It was like an Atta girl where she just got an nice letter from the company or the company bought her a lunch. Wow. I've never seen anything like this. This is an example of customer service where the, the shopper's willing to pay a little bit more. I'm willing now to, I will forever be a Calendly fan and I sure. will always pay them money because of the experience that I had where they took great care of me, allowed me to communicate back to them. A live human sent me a gift, which was cracking me up. And then I was allowed to thank her with something and that the, cost, that the, that the company paid for. So that's something to think of. And then the last thing that, that shoppers are willing to pay a little bit more for is gift wrapping. Huh. So make sure, especially on your online portals where you're selling, that you have gift wrapping turned on. If you are sending the product directly to the customer, maybe make sure that um, on your own website that that's an offering that you can add on. 
I like that. And, and you know, I, I like how much you talked about the, the customer experience because that really is um, an increasingly important thing to people, especially as you noted earlier, uh, if people are willing to spend a little bit more, then, then price might not be the first consideration. But that means something else is being elevated in its place. And I think customer experience uh, really has been elevated in recent years, just people want to feel like uh, they're valued and that the customer experience has been thought through and and has been uh, thoughtfully tailored to make sure that they have uh, a pleasant experience with that particular company or brand or, or retail outlet. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. And Tyler, I have one more little trend to add for 2019 before we wrap this yes, up. Please. Do you mind if I talk about yes. it? Okay. So I know that most of the listeners here are business owners, and we did talk about this a little bit on our Black Friday podcast, but I'd really like to reiterate it. 2019 is going to be another year where we see that everyday low pricing is not just for the holidays. In the previous podcast that we recorded for Market Scale, I talk about how every day is Black Friday now, and as a brand, that can really be terrifying because it means lower profit, and it means that you need to find ways to minimize your loss and to increase profits back up. So I'd like to go through a super quick little checklist, Tyler, if you're okay with that. Yes, go ahead. Okay, so the first thing is it's always best practice to frequently go back to your factories and ask for lower pricing. Once you've done that, then ensure that you're using the latest technology in your products and then updating that yearly. I have an electronics supplier right now in Walmart where we've got over 3,000 doors that we are um, live in, which is incredibly exciting. And so I know for electronics in that world, it it updates so frequently, the technology Mm -hmm. does. What I'm finding is, as long as we're updating the unit that we have inside of Walmart with our latest technology, I'm watching the pricing actually drop on new technology. So just something to think about. Make sure that you're updating your items with the latest technology every year if you can, and that can actually help lower pricing. And another thing is to cut costs on packaging and material. Again, back to my Walmart experience, I know that my buyers are personally challenging us to lower and continually reduce the size of our packaging and use cheaper and more sustainable materials. If you're in other retailers that might not be encouraging that, take a best practice from Walmart. That's something to think about every year. How can you continually continually reduce the, the sizing and the waste on your product? Another thought is sell direct and cut out the middleman. Hmm. I did this when I was working for Nature's Path Organic Food. I represented that particular client into Walmart, and they were using a third party, a UNFI, KHE type of, of distributor. And when we removed that distributor and sold direct to Walmart, we cut out like $5 per item. Wow. We were selling this cereal for like $7 for this gluten-free yeah. cereal. It was insane. Yeah. And the minute that we cut out that middleman, we were selling it for like two fifty. So that's another thought is as you look at it you know, vertically at everything that you're doing, what are some ways that you can cut out that middleman and make it closer to the end shopper? So as I say that, think about selling directly on your website. If you are not using Shopify or some other form of selling on your own website, you're losing out. Mm -hmm. 
you're also creating additional risk for yourself. I have some clients that are selling only on Amazon. And dear God, the minute that Amazon shuts them off for whatever reason, and Amazon comes up with lots of reasons, they're going to be out of business. So I always challenge my clients to think about diversification and risk. Get on as many e-commerce and retail brick and mortar platforms as you can and make sure that you're selling on your own website. You'll have the most profit that way. And so the last thing I have for you to think about is to create an exclusive line of products for your e-commerce space. It's becoming more and more difficult as technology gets smarter to cross-correlate UPCs from one e-commerce website to the other, and it's creating such pricing compression that now we are in this every day is Black Friday kind of world. You can help yourself by having different UPCs and different items that are maybe exclusive on the e-com space versus what you have in brick and mortar. So I teach all of these concepts in my online courses, the A-game and the path to Walmart that I have on my website. I'm sure Tyler will link them in the show notes. Definitely. Hopefully those are some helpful tools to you. Yeah, so we'll, we'll link to your website in the show notes. Uh, so uh, listener, if you're if you're on the market skill page, uh, there's a link to, uh, to Jennifer's website down there, as well as uh, her contributor page on the market skill website that has uh, links to the other uh, appearances that she's made on market skill podcasts. So if you're listening to this and thinking, I would like to go back and listen to that Black Friday episode or any previous uh, appearance that she's made on a Market Scale podcast, you can find it there as well. So lots and lots of information. And that's why that's why she's made three appearances. You know, you, you just heard it. Jennifer's the expert. So uh, that, that's why uh, that's why she's been on the Market Scale Retail Podcast three times. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us on the, the Retail Podcast once again. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you again to Jennifer for joining the podcast today. It's always just so good to have her on just to get that insight, to get that uh, that expertise that you don't get everywhere uh, just on the industry. So hopefully you enjoyed that interview with Jennifer Ruskin. All right. Coming up next is our interview that we're resourcing from uh, earlier on in the year with Healy Cipher. But again, we want to look at things from an angle of uh, the holidays. So as you're going out to more and more stores, are you seeing uh, how kiosks and how different displays can change the shopping experience uh, for customers? And so uh, that's definitely something that I am thinking about during this holiday season. And I don't know uh, if it's something that's on your mind, but uh, maybe this interview will help change your mind about it just in the holiday context. So coming up next is our conversation with Healy Cipher uh, from a little bit earlier on in the year, but he is the CEO of Zavello, and I think you're really going to find it interesting. It's an easy thing to say, but I do believe we're going to see more change, Daniel, in the next five years than we've seen in the last 20. And you know, being on the front lines, being you know lucky enough to have some incredible brands walking through our hallways you know, on a weekly basis, the way you're thinking about things is fundamentally changing. The questions they're asking is just a very different view on the world and i think you know we're all seeing the same things we're seeing the same meta trends in the industry we're seeing consumer demands outpacing the ability of a lot of brick and mortar to keep up we're seeing the cost of labor going a very specific direction which puts an increased burden on productivity per staff and we're seeing these digital first brands are are getting a leg up over some of the larger more entrenched uh strategic brands out there and so 
you know, what is the playbook? How do, how do brands become successful in this new and ever-changing landscape? And that's something we think about every day. So we're excited to get into this. Yeah, absolutely. So before we jump into the main topic, um, you kind of want to recap a little bit of who you are. So before you were the CEO of Zavello, you were the CEO and founder of Oak Labs, which makes me think of Pokemon. Not sure if you were a Pokemon guy growing up, but <laughs> just thinking of Professor Oak's Pokemon Lab. If you that was it. you, I mean, Our hey. Mascot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe able to do a quick, quick background. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, jump into your time as chief of staff at CTO at eBay. And then, you know, also you were named uh, by Goldman Sachs as one of the top 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs. So I just got a know other than your amazing name you know what makes you an intriguing entrepreneur so how would you say <laughs> how how would you say that you as an entrepreneur and a business owner and a thought leader really tries to you know put their personal spin on everything well <laughs> Thanks. I can't claim that I'm intriguing. And actually, if you ask my wife, I'm pretty sure she'd claim that I'm very unintriguing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so quick, quick background is I was I was approached. I was a TA at undergrad and, and you know, fears out of college working as a consultant in New York. And one of my students who I was a TA for called me up and said, you know, I've started a startup in Palo Alto. I'd love for you to join and become my uh, VP of business development. And I said, that sounds great, a guy named Jack. So I, I came out, joined the company. We were, it was called Milo.com, a local product search engine. So, you know, essentially, if you wanted to find a product, we told you the stores around you that had it on the shelf, what the price was and what the inventory count was. And believe it or not, within seven months, we had successfully sold to eBay. Uh, you know, $75 million acquisition. There's about 21 of us. And over the course of this whirlwind of due diligence, I got to know uh, the technical staff at eBay pretty well. One of whom was a guy named Mark Hartress, the CTO, another, another amazing guy, Dan Glasgow, who is the SVP of product uh, management for the company. And so they asked me to become their chief of staff. I was kind of playing a, a dual role uh, when I joined eBay. And what was interesting was this was at the time when eBay was this massive amalgam of e-com players. So it was eBay.com, it was PayPal, it was GSI, Magento, and it was a suite of e-commerce. And so what we were doing, and I, and I was often kind of you know helping out with these big presentations for the whole company, was bringing in retailers and uh, pitching them e-commerce solutions. And they'd all say the same thing, Daniel. They'd come in from all over the world, pitch them for hours and sometimes days at a time. And they'd say, hey, this is great. Now, what technology do you have for my physical stores? Which, by the way, are still 90 plus percent of revenue. <laughs> and we just didn't have live, which is, by the way, still still the truth. I think uh, brick and mortar commerce is still 91 percent of revenue. Right. Which is which is so funny because that's just definitely not the narrative that loves to be pushed. You know, that e-commerce is taking over and that brick and mortar, you know, you really have to create that in-store experience to draw people to the store. But like you said, I mean, if it's still the majority, then people are still doing something right or still finding ways to make brick and mortar beat out the convenience aspect of heading to Amazon or heading to the online site. Look, I'll take it even further. I think e-commerce is a sewer where brands are forced to sell their stuff. Wow. Bold statement. It is awful. It is absolutely awful. Um, you know, if, if you're a best in breed soft goods, you know, fashion apparel retailer selling online, then you're only getting 35% returns. I mean, how are you supposed to manage a business when one out of three things are in the sky being sent back to the DC for refurb and for restock, and then you got to try to resell it? I mean, good luck. And it's got to be free shipping. It's just, 
it's just insane. You know, plus first thing you see online is price. You don't fall in love with the items. There's a zillion ways that you can get into it. Um, it's, it's a brilliant play by some players, but all to say that you know, this was actually kind of the sentiment of some retailers as well. And so what we did is uh, I, I convinced the executive team to let me start a new division of the company called the retail innovation team. And it was all about bringing the best of online thinking into the physical world. And so what we started doing was, you know, through these, these really interesting projects with companies like Nordstrom and Kate Spade and Rebecca Minkoff and Sony and Tom's and, you know, you name it, Toys R Us, um, building out these experiences that were digitizing in-store fleets. And it was an array of experiences. It was, you know, a 24-7 window shop for Kate Spade Saturday. So the entire island of Manhattan was their first store. It was end caps for Toys R Us. There were gift guides for people walking into the store and figuring out, you know, what they were going to buy for their, their kids. It was these, uh, you know, huge experiences um, like what we built in Rebecca Minkoff, where the entire store was full of mirrored surfaces that would come alive and show you a fashion a fashion show and the products that were within the fashion runway show, but now actually being sold in the store or fitting rooms that would come alive. And as we were building all these experiences, Daniel, what happened is we realized it was just really, really hard to build them. And this is why a lot of retail wasn't actually advancing. It was too complicated. And so we left to start a company called Oak Labs. And uh, we started out with some kind of product aspirations to, to begin. But what we ended up ultimately focusing in on was becoming the first purpose-built operating system for in-store digital experiences, for basically kind of touch experiences. And, um, you know, after two and a half years, in the last year, 2017, we had you know, really fun revenue growth. I think it was 347% or something insane. Um, we ended up getting a handful of acquisition offers, one of which was this amazing company, Zyvelo, who makes, who has an equally powerful hardware platform, these beautiful um, public computing experiences that were in, you know, big QSR brands, big retail locations, airports, entertainment, sports venues, you name it. And our vision is to create the first app store for public computing. So what this means is um, when you walk into stores of the future, the stores should just kind of come alive around you, not require that you have an app, not require necessarily that you're checking in or logging in, but instead becoming your version of the, of the store. And so what we've done as a company is focused in on being that turnkey solution for a lot of the biggest brands out there. Um, and, you know, uh, happy to say it's been an incredible journey and I've, I've never seen an industry growing quite this fast or this much opportunity in my life. All right, hopefully you enjoyed that insight there from Healy Cypher. And just when you think about it in the vein of the holidays, it really is just a, you know something interesting to think about during this time of year when it comes to retail. Okay, coming up next is our conversation with Chris Barnes. He's the Senior Vice President of Strategy and Solutions for Gladson. We're going to talk about the rapidly changing nature of the retail transaction. So, uh, again, another interesting thing to think about just as retail is really in the focus and in the forefront of people's minds when it comes to the holiday season so uh, another thing just to think about as you think about interacting with customers um, how that transaction has changed and and what it is moving into Uh, and so that's what this conversation with chris barnes is going to be about coming up next on the market scale retail podcast What is the thing that has struck you most in the past couple of years 
that would represent a seismic change in the way retail is actually conducted? Well, well, for sure, you think about this one big Goliath out there, his name is Amazon, right? He's for sure disrupted kind of the way, not both, not only the way that manufacturers and retailers have to do business now, but think of us as all, all of us as shoppers, right? Whether we shop our grocery online, whether we're, you know, an Amazon Prime member, all of us today are shopping differently because of the, that guy named Amazon, right? Um, and we want that product really quickly. We want that product to be exactly what we want it to be when it comes to us. Uh, and if that's not the case, then you know sometimes we return those items. So uh, Amazon for sure has disrupted <laughs> all the way that we all do business today. One of the ways that I have always looked at at retail and marketing is it's literally another language. Much like uh, when your kids go to school, they're in junior high and high school, they start to take foreign languages, maybe take German or French or Spanish, and it's a second language. The language of marketing and retail is a very subtle, separate language. And I'm curious, as someone who lives in that universe, is there slang that pops up in marketing and retail, much like there is slang in any spoken language? Absolutely. Um, and, and again, our friends at Amazon have also created a lot of that slang, right? They they use this term called A-plus content, which is kind of their speak for this is the holy grail for how all products should be articulated and communicated. Um, but as we all know, whether we shop at one store versus another store, those products can be represented in a different way, right? You're not trying to go after the same shopper at Walmart than you do at Amazon or at a Kroger versus a Walgreens, right? So there's certain slang that each one of these retailers that are using, but for sure, um, you know, the marketing content that's being used and the and the slang of A plus content is certainly one of those that's prevalent right now. You have to keep an eye on changes, obviously. And I would imagine you probably live, I don't know, what, six to eighteen, maybe even twenty-four months in advance. You always have to look to the future to to help provide solutions and and really to stay on top of what you do for a living. You can't, if you're thinking about something that's two months from now, you're too late, I would imagine. How is that window expanding? Do you have to start thinking even further in the future? Are you going to have to be 36 months in the future within the next couple of months? Uh, yes and no. I think for sure you, we always need to be thinking about, you know, a year, two years, three years out there. But with this space changing so drastically overnight, who knows what we might think 36 months might be prevalent in 36 months. Uh, you know, some startup company or some other solution or technology company might already have in their in their uh, you know wheelhouse to come up in the next two months. So certainly we have to be pretty adaptive to yes, be forward thinking, but also be able to be pretty nimble on our toes if that technology all of a sudden surfaces. So you know, it's our job as solution providers to be on top of some of the trends that are coming up with like shoppable recipes or, you know, everybody also always thought this online grocery shopping thing was a fad a year ago. Gosh, look where we are right now. Well, let's talk about a couple of those trends. Um, let's start off with the trend of information. Or data. Um, uh, that's a huge buzzword. Everybody wants data. They want to collect more data. And as you've mentioned, Amazon is leading the charge in gathering all of the data with regard to our shopping preferences and things that we like, things we don't like, what works, what doesn't work, what gets gl clicks, what gets traffic. So uh, that trend of data 
comes with a bit of a pitfall, doesn't it? It certainly does. Um, big data isn't always the best. Um, a ton of our different retailers always want the most amount of data they can get their hands on. The problem is some of them don't know what in the world what to do with it once they have all that. When it comes to product information, which is where we have a specialty, sometimes just having more data isn't always best. Uh, think about think about a retailer's website. Um, if you're a consumer and you're checking that out and there's nothing but text after text and bullets after bullets, are you really going to be engaged there? So there's got to be this happy balance and medium between quantity of data, but also quality of data, right? Is it the right information? Um, and that's what we're also hearing in, 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 when it, in retrospect when it comes to all data. Big data is good, but you know, really quality data is also pretty, pretty much 1B on the priority list. Yeah. And what you do with that data leads me into our next trend. And that is, how do you use that data to present your product or service in the best possible light? I would imagine product transparency is really starting to take up a majority of your energy. Absolutely. And and I'm not sure, Sean, if you or anybody in your household have food allergies or allergic to anything, you know, certainly I'm I'm pretty lucky I don't, but we always joke about our, you know, our CEO is allergic to poultry and, you know, any kind of turkey or fowl that he would have, you know, <laughs> could potentially put him in uh, some pretty bad light. You know, we think about all the allergies that are out there or not even just allergies, maybe it's food restrictions or it's dietary and lifestyle changes that people want to abide by. Uh, the food that we put in our body or on our body or just that we're around, uh, people want to know what is in those products and, and not only just for food items, right? Think about anything that you're buying, whether it's a blender or a vacuum or a power drill, right? The, the information about that product is pretty important because if you don't get what you think you're going to get, um, for sure, you might be wanting to return that item or you might have bad brand loyalty or you might not come back a second time to buy that product again. You know, a, a perfect example of uh, the dangers of, of not having enough transparency is what's happening with uh, Pret over the last couple of weeks. Um, I wonder, is too much choice too much? I mean, I like having freedom to choose. I like, I personally like having seven different types of peanut butter to select from. I'm lucky enough to not have a peanut allergy. I like, you know, maybe today I want this brand or, Ooh, maybe I'll get chunky this time. But it, with so many choices, then that puts an incredible burden on the consumer to do the research necessary to make sure they do choose something that fits what they need, but also what their lifestyle requires. Yeah. It, and sometimes too many choices. You're right, Sean, right? Sometimes too many choices is too much, but it's also the responsibility of some of these retailers to help guide their shoppers through how to find those best products, right? Or it's on the brand to make sure that they're promoting their items with the best marketing claims, right? We are GMO. We are peanut-free allergy. We are low sodium. So how do these brands and retailers you know, help guide that shopper through that journey? Um, same thing, you come to a website, you know, Amazon sells hundreds of thousands of items. How do you search for the items that you want? 
right? You go to the search bar and you say, I want, you know, uh, chunky peanut butter, right? And they'll probably give you the items that they feel best support your needs based on maybe a profile that you have. So certainly there's there's an opportunity for these brands and retailers to better understand their consumer and shopper better. And it's all about personalization as well. All right. Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for on this week's episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. We do hope you have a happy holiday season, and we'll be back shortly with another episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. But until then, I've been your host, Tyler Kern, and we'll talk again soon. 